This is the Talking Pictures podcast presented by the Film and Photography Society at UCLA. Today, we'll be talking about the 2004 sci-fi romance film, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, written by Charlie Kaufman and directed by Michelle Gondry. My name is Eli. I'll be your host for this episode. I am a fourth year political science major with a film minor. This is my favorite movie ever. I am joined by Zaraline. Hi, I'm Zaraline. I'm a junior philosophy major film minor, and I'm really interested in storytelling and film. So yeah, I'm here to talk about storytelling and other stuff in Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. We will be going into heavy spoiler territory. So if you haven't seen the movie, I'd recommend pausing this podcast, going and watching the film yourself, and then coming back once you're finished. Yeah, so if nothing went wrong, this episode should have been uploaded on Valentine's Day 2024, which is exactly 20 years after the opening scene of this movie, which takes place on Valentine's Day 2004. That's crazy. So I guess let's sort of like start with those opening moments and the characters that we meet, right? We meet Joel Barish, played by Jim Carrey, and Mm -hmm. Clementine Krasinski, played by Kate Winslet. I really just wanted to talk about the way that they cast this movie, because I think it's so interesting, right? They like purposely cast Jim Carrey very much against type, right? He usually does these really big, over-energetic roles. But Joel is, like, very shy, very quiet. Yeah, I think he does really well. I think beyond the Truman Show, I hadn't watched him do something that I considered, like, a little more serious. And when I watched this a long time ago, the first time that I watched this, I was like, I didn't know he could, the range he had on him. Yeah. And then for Clementine, she comes on really strong in this movie. She's a very big personality, which is funny sort of in contrast to Jim Carrey playing a very like muted character. There is a lot of debate as to whether or not Clementine is like a manic pixie dream girl archetype. Yeah. I think maybe we'll get into some of the details on that later. But it's it's there. Like you can see sort of, I think, some of the blueprints of that. I think a little bit but there's so many like scenes about her that add more to just being the manic pixie dream girl if that makes sense yeah because every time i watch this movie i notice that i side with i don't know if this is a good or a bad thing i side with either clementine or joel more if that makes sense like one time i'll watch it and i'm like oh i think i feel more bad for joel on this one like clementine kind of was a little too intense about some things and then i watch it again and i'm like joel was the one in the wrong but um she's very impulsive yes she's very impulsive but he can also be very like insecure yeah and say and i think he said a lot of things like out of obviously like his insecurity but it's something i found really cool when i was watching it today was that even though she's like a manic pixie dream girl or she's very impulsive she always tells him like she's very outspoken about her feelings like when he hurts her she says she says something like, I'm really pissed that you told me that. Or I'm really sad yeah. that you said that. Like, she's very upfront about her feelings. And I found that so interesting because, like, it's my, like, fifth time watching it. But Joel, like, obviously isn't like that. And she's very, yeah. like, upfront and clear about how she feels. Yeah. This was my this is my fourth time watching it. I was rewatching it for this. The more and more I watch it, the more and more I realize that, like, Joel and Clem are not a good couple. Like, they mm-hmm. honestly don't belong together like he is far too mundane and insecure and quiet 
for her like very like impulsive and exciting sort of energy like they don't really match at all mm-hmm. I do think what's interesting though is like technically because of the way that the story is told we never really get to see the like true original version of their relationship like we're seeing all of it from uh-huh. Joel's memory Joel's which is yeah. which is unreliable I-, I saw someone online point out that there's like a moment in the movie where before Joel goes asleep for the procedure, um, he has that conversation with his neighbor and his neighbor is like, the only Valentine's Day cards they get are from my mother. How pathetic is that? But then once he's asleep, he like replays that same scene and the line is slightly different. Instead of saying, how pathetic is that? Frank says, how sad is that? And so already, like from the very first scene we're seeing in Joel's memory, like you realize that maybe it's not 100% reliable because memory yeah. can make things seem better or worse. And by default, too, because since he's kind of the narrator, by default, you know, he's insecure. We When we retell stuff, we kind of retell it in a way that makes us seem like the victim or the better person. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. And also, like, something to consider is, like, we never get to see any of Clementine's perspective. Yeah. Right? We get the entire relationship from Joel, but we don't know any of what happened with Clem, and especially, like, Joel really goes on this whole journey while his memory is being erased of like realizing that he, you know, the relationship wasn't as bad and that he he wants to keep the memories and whatever. And we like assume that the same thing happened with Clementine based on what happens at the end. But like, we really don't know. And so watching this movie this time, I was really like, I really want to know like what that was like on Clementine's end. Cause she was the one who like wanted yeah. to do it first. Like she was the one more eager to get her memory erased. But clearly, like, something in her also was like, oh, do it again. Like, go back to Montauk because they, they meet again at the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. I think the most we get about her perspective is when she plays the tapes in his car, right? Yeah. 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 I guess, I guess while we're talking about the tapes, so there is the story of Joel and Clem. I also wanted to talk about there's sort of a, a mirror side story that's happening Oh, yeah, with, with Mary, Mary and the doctor. And, and uh, Dr. Muzwak, yeah. That I think is so tragic because, mm. you know, she is the secretary for the guy who, like, invented this memory racing procedure. She, like, falls in love with him and they have an affair and it ends up going to the point where he basically forces her to erase her memory of the entire thing. Mm-hmm. I think you can kind of see a little bit of how he can be a little manipulative with her because in the scene where his wife drives up to where Joel lives, because it's after the scene where she kisses him and then he's like, we can't do this. And then they both go in for the kiss, I think is what happens. And yeah. And so when they go out and he starts like apologizing to um, his wife, uh, Mary saying something like, oh, like I basically forced him into it. And he's like, yeah, yeah. And she, she's like, I, I kissed him first. And he's like, not even like he's letting her take the fall, basically. Right. He just allows her to take the fall for him. Right. And not only is there like the power dynamic of him being her boss, but there's also sort of a weird power dynamic. And like, he knows all of the stuff that With, he's had yeah. the memory erased. And he's the one who has the power to be like, no, and doesn't. Uh-huh. I also, while we're talking about Howard, I do want to shout out the like, really great understated performance from Tom Wilkinson who plays Howard um, and he just recently passed away Um, but his performance is is so 
understated. He very much like carries a lot of weight with him, but it's not like getting in the way of him doing his work. And so as those layers are sort of unwrapped as, you know, his Mm -hmm. relationships with with Mary and his wife sort of come to light and, and unravel even more. It's really interesting to watch and and I just wanted to, to call that out. Rest in peace. I will say something quick though. Yeah, go ahead. No, it's just I don't know if this is bad or not, but when I every time I watch the movie and the opening opening scene cuts to Joel crying, it always makes me laugh a little bit. I know it's not meant to be comedic, but it it makes me laugh a little bit. Where he's like looking up and just crying in his car. In his car. I don't know. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so I actually read while doing research for this episode a really, really interesting theory about that scene specifically. Because it's like Mm -hmm. the opening credits and we hear Beck's cover of Everybody's Gotta Learn Sometime, which like they recorded for this movie. Mm -hmm. Which the movie also ends on that, with that song. Like that's the song in the closing credits. So this is, this theory is from the user Agent Cricket on Reddit. So the theory is basically during the opening credits, Joel is listening to Everybody's Gotta Learn Sometime and he throws that out the window and that it was like, that song had memories of him and Clem associated mm-hmm. with it. And because he threw it out the window, he didn't bring it into Lacuna when he got his memory erased. So yeah. parts of it stayed with him and parts of their relationship didn't get erased. And so those fragments might have been the reason why he was able to resist the erasing procedure and oh. go on that adventure to save the memories of her. Something else I also noticed, I guess what we're still talking about the early part of the movie, is in the beginning when Joel comes over to Clementine's place after they've had their memories erased, she asks him to stay the night and he gets cold feet and leaves, Mm -hmm. which is the exact same thing that happened the first time on the beach when they break into that house and Clem wants him to stay with her in the house. And he also gets cold feet and leaves. And I think it's just really interesting how even after their memories have been erased, the patterns do repeat themselves. And I think that does sort of tie into a lot of the ideas posited by the ending, which I guess we should go into, we can go into the ending, right? Yeah. For anyone who's listening who doesn't remember the ending of the movie, right, Joel and Clem have realized that they know each other and they've had their memories erased and yet they decide to try again, even though it's doomed to fail, which is like, it's such a beautiful scene. I love where, you know, Clementine's like, you're going to get sick of me and I'm going to get bored of you. Mm -hmm. And Joel's just like, okay. Yeah. And we'll, we'll, and that's okay. And we'll try again. I think that's so, so, so beautiful. Yeah. Um, and so simple. But there is, apparently, I didn't, I have never wondered this. But online, it seems like there's a lot of discourse over whether or not this relationship is sort of a loop. Mm-hmm. And whether they're like destined to keep erasing each other's memories and, and breaking up and going back together. And, and also whether or not this was even the first time that they had done this. Yeah, but then regardless, this time would be different, though, I imagine, right? Because Mary sends out all the tapes and there would be, like, more knowledge, I guess, about the lacuna. So I I would imagine, like, the last scene is, uh, this time it's a little different because, like, now the doctor, you know, he probably gets discredited and and, or they just, like, there's more knowledge about it. Yeah, no, I I agree with you, actually. So what's interesting, though, is that the original draft of the script opens with an older version of Clementine who's met Joel like yet again like as like seniors and wants to erase him like yet again and it's it's basically implied that they've done this on and off like over 15 times over the course of their life that they just keep meeting and then breaking up and erasing each other's memory and meeting and breaking up and erasing each other's memory 
I think that's interesting, but I also think it's so, like, sad and really, like, morbid compared to the version that we get. Because I think the version that's in the movie, like, it doesn't make sense for it to be a loop. I've always assumed that, like, after Mary sent out all the tapes, yeah, like, Lacuna went out of business. That's yeah. always what I assumed. That there was just, like, probably, like, lawsuits, crazy lawsuits. There's no way this is legal. But I don't know. I, I like to imagine that they wouldn't have done this again. Yeah. I do want to talk about Joel's friends, uh, Carrie and Rob, played by uh, Jane Adams and David Cross, because something that I realized watching this movie again is that there are no completely healthy relationships in this movie, right? Joel and Clem are, like, doomed to be toxic for each other. Clementine's relationship with Patrick is based on lies and manipulation. Mary's relationship with Howard is an affair. And even side characters like Carrie and Rob, like, every time we see them, they're arguing with each other over something. Mm -hmm. The closest we get to a healthy relationship is Mary's relationship with Stan. But even then, that's clearly something that she's not happy in Mm -hmm. because she has eyes for Howard. And I think maybe, like, that's the point. Because each relationship in this movie is, like, near its end, sort of, like, demonstrating that more often than not, love will corrode and relationships will fail. But it doesn't matter because love is worth trying anyways. Yeah. And that's sort of the moral of the movie. Yeah, I think, I mean, the ending in itself speaks on that. The idea that, like, even though it might not work out, it's it would be good to try again because maybe it will work out. Yeah. It, it's not even, like, maybe it will work out. It's like, well, the memories still shape you in some way. You know, to be happy now, if you're sad later, doesn't matter because you'll have those happy memories. Mm-hmm. That, like, sometimes you have to take the good with the bad. Yeah in order to take the good and if you never try you'll never get either i agree yeah there's some really interesting stuff about that in some of the like side background characters we see um at lacuna one of my favorites is that when joel's in the lobby there are two people next to him um, and one of them is an old woman she has a box there's like a dog bowl in there mm-hmm. you tell like she's erasing memories of like a dog but The one that's, like, even more tragic is you have this man who has a box that has what looks like a soccer trophy in it, Mm -hmm. right? And it seems like he's, like, tragically lost his son Mm -hmm. or something. And that he's sort of coping with that pain by erasing erasing all of these memories, which that in itself would also be, like, a very interesting exploration of this idea in a movie. But I think the way that the movie sort of just alludes to all of the, the, the different ways of this really expands it to be, like, more than relationships. Um, and I think it's really interesting how it's, like, really all about how we deal with grief and how we, like, cut ourselves off from even positive memories because they might make us think of negative memories. Interestingly enough, I don't know if you remember... Um... Mary quotes two people, right? It's Alexander Pope and then the other one that I can't pronounce. The the quote is, blessed are the forgetful for they get the better even of their blunders, which is uh, from Nietzsche. Yeah. And I was I was actually looking it up because he's a philosopher and I'm a philosophy major. And basically, it's a really cool, um, the quote that she gives because it's in reference to one of his works and the idea in that work is basically that he thinks that you do more for yourself when you forget because memories are too painful, according to him. 
which goes I guess goes in hand with like Lacuna's whole thing that they're doing but yeah he thinks like forgetting is the most useful thing you can do to yourself because then you can move on and grow I think that's really interesting and I it's clearly like the philosophy of Lacuna the memory erasing company like within the world of the movie which I think is sort of obviously wrong mm-hmm. but I guess with that like I think it's even more illustrated in the title of the movie. Mm-hmm. So the title of this movie comes from the Alexander Pope poem, Eloisa to Abelard, which was written in the 18th century. And the, the passage it's from reads, How happy is the blameless Vestal's lot, the world forgetting by the world forgot. Eternal sunshine of the spot was mine, each prayer accepted and each wish resigned. And I think it's really interesting how that idea that there is, you know, eternal sunshine, happiness in the spotless mind, right? The mind that is blissfully unaware or forgetful is is really interesting. But the movie sort of like proves that that's not true. Um, I think it's a beautiful title. I think the sequence where Mary reads that and we get the video of Joel and Clem at the parade is beautiful it's one of my favorite moments in any movie ever i will say too um i have you read the eloisa of Avalar or eloisa de Avalar? yeah i have not have you i read a little bit and yeah so it i think it's really um it kind of hints a little bit about mary and um howard's relationship because the poem is about a relationship between a young woman and an older man and the poet takes on the younger woman's perspective and is writing on her behalf. And it's basically this idea that she, I, I think she would prefer to forget him because then she can move on. Yeah. I think when she says that Mary herself, I think it like kind of hints at that there was something between Howard and her before. I didn't know that. That's really interesting. Yeah. Cause that is like, that's literally what's going on, I guess, between Mary and Howard. And that's in the scene it's Mary quoting that to Howard. Mm-hmm. That's so interesting. That's so cool. Yeah, and it's such a literal way to say that it happened between them. But like, because obviously you're watching the movie and you're like, oh, like that's, you know, I, I think when I first saw it, I just, the first thing I thought about was like, oh, it's the title. Right. And just like to contextualize it within the scene. But then when I actually looked it up, I was like, oh, they're literally telling us Mary and Howard had a relationship or there's something going on between yeah because we don't we don't get that until a few scenes later right i guess it's just them alone reading quotes Mm -hmm. yeah huh while we're talking about that scene where mary reads that quote and the title of the movie i just want to point out that the score for that scene is one of my favorite bits of score in any movie ever i think john bryan's score for this movie is so so good in every bit of music there's such a deep sense of of longing i don't know how to describe it and that's it's just so beautiful and it really adds to just everything in this movie. I think it ties it all together. The part where Joel is opening up the little like envelope that I forgot their names, but his friends give him mm-hmm. that says like, oh, like um, Clementine got her memory raised. Please don't men- yeah, mention yeah, yeah. Joel. Like the the score right there is really like unsettling. It feels when I was mm-hmm. watching it right now, it reminded me more of like a horror, horror mm-hmm. thing. Which I thought it was really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. If anyone has a thing for movie scores, I highly recommend just pulling up a few tracks from this movie. My personal favorites. Phone Call, Row, 
Elephant Parade. Those are the ones that I recommend. They're all great. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about just like the filmmaking of this movie Mm -hmm. and like how it was done. I think it's so interesting. Um, Michelle Gondry, who directed Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, is mostly like a music video director, which leads to like a very interesting visual style. And once I learned that, I was like, oh, this whole movie and the way that it was like done makes so much sense because it's Mm -hmm. really all about like strange visuals stuff that you'll remember it's very like dreamlike and something else that they do is like they have a lot of really cool effects that are all done like in camera the one that always comes on early that i'm always like oh my god how do they do this is when joel he walks out of the barnes and noble and he walks through the door and he's immediately in carrie and rob's living room like in one Mm -hmm. in one go which feels really elaborate for a movie that is small of a budget I don't know. I think also like with the idea of uh, Michelle Gondry being a music video director, I think like uh, when I watched it the first time or the first few times, I think a lot of it is like showing instead of telling, which I really like when films do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's something that also happens a lot in music videos because since it's a music video, they can't tell you or have dialogue beyond like what the song is about, right? So I think you can really see that reflected. And um, also, yeah, the the I guess I guess it would be called production design, right? And that scene is really cool. Another one that you, the one you talked about, another one that um, always shows up on my for you page is the one where Joel is a kid and he's under the table, and he mm. looks really small. And I I saw like a thing where it was like it's all about like perspective because none of it was edited. Like they're all it's just a set. Oh really? Was that a, a forced perspective? Yeah. It's really cool. They built that set for that. Yeah. No, so actually, maybe my favorite scene in the movie at all. It's so hard for me to pick one uh, because I love this movie so much. But it's in Joel's memory when they're in the bookstore and Clementine gives that speech about, you know, some people think I'm a concept, but I'm just a fucked up girl who's looking for my own sense of purpose, right? Don't assign me your value or whatever. Which I guess while that I've mentioned it, I think for me makes her not a manic pixie dream girl. Like, to me, when I hear that, it's very much like she's aware that people view her in that way. That they think that they're going to, like, whisk her away on some adventure or whatever. But she's not, and she's just a person. And that, like, it's the other people assigning her this value that she doesn't inherently have. Which, you know, this this movie came out, I think, four years before anyone even came up with the term Manic Pixie Dream Girl. But I think it's already, mm-hmm. like, a sort of a, a rebuttal of that archetype. Even if it is there. I think it just, like, makes her complex enough that she's aware of it. And that might be enough to, to break her from it. I don't know. I agree. Anyways, um, that scene, when she's doing that, and they're in the Barnes & Noble, and the, the books, if you look at the books in the background, the, the spines of the books and the covers are, like, slowly disappearing. Until by the end mm-hmm. of the scene, they're just, it's just, like, white, blank books because Joel's memory is corroding. And so, like, the details of the books are, are, are disappearing. Going away. And I think it's so cool. It's so pretty. I love the way that scene ends, that shot, where it's, like, a profile on, on Joel and Clem. And then Clem disappears. And it's just Joel standing there for, like, a couple seconds alone in this right. empty bookstore. I think it's such a beautiful shot. It's, it's such a good movie. Um, the ones that stand out to me the most are when they're, like, laying down together. 
So like the scene where mm. I think they're like, he's laying down and she's kind of on top of him, and the I think she's drinking coffee. Um, they're like in, in, in the bed. bed. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. So I, and there's nothing really crazy about that scene. It's just like um the contrasting of like colors, like just her hair, her shirt. Yeah. Um, I like that scene a lot, and I also like the scene where they're laying in bed, but it's right after the humiliation scene. So they're like in bed, but they're also on the beach right after, and it's snow covered. Yes, that is such a beautiful shot. The yeah. them like in the bed on the snowy beach with the waves. It's so cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was gonna say also the scene where um they're so close together and she goes up. I think she goes up to him and she's like, "Meet me in Montauk," and she like whispers it, and like the camera. I think the camera is like really close to them. I really yeah. like that scene. It's so close on them, and I think they like have like just a flashlight like on that camera. Like it's like you mm-hmm. can't see anything else because Joel's memory is so degraded. There's actually a, a, a few moments where they do that. That's really like freaky most of the times in joel's dream in his memories when he tries to go to the office yeah yeah. and it's dark and they have the light and there's always some like there's always freaky shit like it's either like Mm -hmm. the crazy like elijah wood with his with his eyes like flipped upside down (laughs) or yeah howard with his like face blank and and joel also with his face like made blank and it's so like unsettling in this movie and there's so many moments of really like interesting VFX that's like very subtle. One of my favorites is really early when Joel is driving after Clem after they've like had that argument and she's walking in the street. And they, if you look really closely, Clementine only has one leg. They used VFX to cut out her, her other leg, leg yeah. just so it would look a little bit weird and freaky and unsettling. And it, it goes by uh-huh. so fast, like, you don't even notice. Also with, like, there's, like, cars falling in the sky. Like, there's way more important yeah. stuff to look at. But there's, like, a ton of moments like that where they do that, like, really subtle, interesting VFX. But other than, like, a couple moments like that, most of it is done in camera, which I think is so, so impressive. So I am an editor, mostly. I love post-production. So I have a lot to say about this movie's editing. I, I love this movie's nonlinear narrative re- representing, like, the erasing of memory. It's such a fun trick. Um, it has a lot of similarities to Memento, which is another favorite movie of mine, which came out a few years earlier. I, I think that's so cool because, like, the first time I watched it, like, I didn't even realize. Like, the movie basically spells it out for you pretty early on because when Joel's in the office, he's like, his version of events are completely different than the version that we got. But you're just like, oh, mm-hmm. I... I don't know, like, I, I guess it's, like, close enough, right? They met on the beach. Maybe he's just, like, lying or whatever. It's literally not until after the erasing happens and you, they have the same shot of him waking up and going, I'm like, oh, my God. Like, I'm so, like, of course. Like, of course they would do that. And it's so smart mm-hmm. that the movie just, like, throws you in after they've had their memory erased because just, like, Joel and Clem, then the audience is like, oh, this is the first time. Like, it's just a regular day. And I think that's so cool and so smart it's 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 just brilliant um no yeah i agree i think yeah the first time i watched it i thought oh this is how they meet like you said but yeah and it's not until the end you're like oh that's not how they met the first time but it's still cool that they meet again the same way yeah i think that's so interesting how like 
we don't see Clementine's version of the erasure. And yet we know based on the end of the movie that somehow her subconscious also told her to go to Montauk. And like, that's, Mm -hmm. that's it. That's all we know. And to me, that's like the movie saying that like, even if you can erase the memories, you can't erase the feeling that there's something like more than memories that. Yeah. The mind forgets, but the body doesn't. Yes. Yes. That's such a good way of putting it. You know, when somebody becomes that close to you, they don't just become part of your memory. They become part of you. Right. They Mm -hmm. like, become part of your personality you adopt ways of saying things and like interests that they might have that you didn't have before and so even if you erase those memories there's still a part of them that is with you and so like Mm -hmm. when Clem's memory of Joel is erased even when she's like with Patrick and she's supposed to be happy she's like something's wrong with me because something's missing because she's she Mm -hmm. is missing part of herself because Joel has been erased from her and I think that's so cool Another thing I wanted to talk about, there is a lot that's cut from this movie that's in the deleted scenes that I think really changes the movie if it was added in. So there is like five scenes with Joel's ex-girlfriend, Naomi. She's supposed to be played by Alan Pompeo from Grey's Anatomy. Um, Uh And they cut all of it from the final movie. So there's a scene where after the night with Clementine, like, after he says his memory erased, you know, he goes back to his house and then he calls her. There is the full version of that scene. He goes and he calls Naomi first. And he's like, we should restart. And she's like, yeah, like, I would love to meet you again. Like, we should get back together. And then he calls Clementine afterwards. Mm-hmm. And I think everything with Naomi, like, was sort of just cut for simplicity to not, like, overcomplicate the dynamic between Joel and Clem. And I think if we see Joel mm-hmm. that early in the movie go and like meet this girl and then try to go back with his ex it immediately makes him less sympathetic because he is our narrator for the rest of the movie Mm -hmm. which is interesting because i don't know i personally like complicated characters um i just really like the idea of um watching a character who's not sympathetic just because i feel like in most situations it's a little bit more realistic but it's funny because um that you mentioned naomi because the last time Right now that I watched it, I always think and I thought, like, what? I feel so bad for her. And we don't know anything about her. He's, like, still dating this girl and living with her. And he's looking, like, he wants to go out with Clementine. And um, as soon as Clementine says, like, her whole thing, like, um, if you're with me, then you're with me. He, like, okay, I'm going to, like, be done with this girl, Naomi. Which is kind of sad. And so, like, I always wonder, like, was there another version of the script where we know more about her? And you confirm that there is. There is a scene that's cut where she is talking with him. I think after he's met Clementine the first time, he's like, I, I think we like should go our separate ways. And she's like, oh, there's someone else isn't there. And he's like, no. And she's like, I know you're lying. And basically storms out on him. Mm-hmm. I think it is more interesting to have it be complex, but I think to put it more in the front, like takes away from the parts of the relationship that should be more positive, I think was the idea. Because you go from the negative memories to the positive ones. I think if you also threw in the, like, the breakup with Naomi during that time, it would, like, make it too... Too much. Complicated. Yeah. So I guess as we're reaching the end, I just wanted to really talk about big picture and, like, the themes of this movie. Because... What makes this movie so great for me is the way that I connect with it emotionally. And I don't think there's any movie that 
makes me feel so strongly so many emotions like this movie does for me you know the first time i watched this movie i was 15 and for me when i watched it it was about a really bad falling out with a friend that i had um Mm -hmm. and the idea of like would would i want to remove that entirely um and to watch this movie to like give you that message of like okay but the the think of the positive memories and the stuff that you kept in the way that it, you know, changed you for the better. That really helped me through that and affected that. The second time I watched it was a couple years later when it was then about uh, a different relationship with somebody else. And then when I watched it now, it's about an entirely different relationship. And I think to me, what makes it so great is like at every point in my life that I've seen it, it's about something that feels relevant and it always like has some wisdom to offer about that and I think that's so beautiful of just like even if you're going through something and you're mourning the loss of something you can only feel sad about losing something if you had something that you loved to begin with and I think that's a really beautiful idea in this movie yeah so I also think it's like very something that when you watch it it like just hits you emotionally I remember the first time that I watched it I was pretty young I think I was 13 and Ironically enough, I was also having a falling out with a friend. And it was just this idea of like, yeah, trying to erase or thinking about erasing like all physical traces of them and wondering like, oh, is is that is that good enough? Or will I always because I'm also a person who overthinks a lot. So regardless, if I would have erased anything physical of them, I would always be thinking of them anyway or thinking about what happened. But I think also um this is a completely random segue by the way um when i think of this movie i also think of the idea that our brains naturally um erase memories for us when they grow to be too traumatic Mm. um like yeah like when something's too traumatic for us our our brain like by itself decides like we're gonna erase this because it hurts too much but like I said, the mind may forget, but the body doesn't. Our bodies still have, like, there's this thing called trauma memory. And even though this is not exactly, like, what the movie's about, I think it's really interesting that it's sort of integrated into that in a certain way or not. Yeah, this idea that even if we forget, our body will mm-hmm. always remember. Um, also, I don't know why, but the recent times that I watched it, maybe this is because of the influence of other stuff I've watched, it feels a lot, like, all-consuming love a bit i may be wrong though it just feels like that what do you what do you mean by that yeah just this idea that you like can't like live without this person even though like you fight and uh, and like you said clementine and joel don't have a good relationship none of the none of the characters do but it feels like with joel and clementine specifically more with like mary and um howard it feels like all-consuming because like it's not good for them the way that they interact with each other mm-hmm. um and the way that they carry out their lives with each other but they still want to love each other and they still continue to hurt each other at the same time yeah i just think probably because i watched um i don't know why i related to this movie bones and all and just because i've been mm. um reading a lot about this idea of all-consuming love and how it presents in like some movies about cannibalism which is completely different i know but it's just like joel does this whole like um and i and i'm saying this because there's a scene where like he forces his eyes open right and his 
they're trying to get him back to sleep. So Howard injects him with something to sleep. And his eye, like, there's a single tear on his right eye, I believe, that, mm, like, just yeah. goes out. And it's obviously, like, I don't know. You, it could be argued that it's painful for him to lose Clementine. But I like to think it's just a painful process just to, like, fight against the procedure that they're doing. Which is why I say it's, like, maybe it's an exaggeration to say it's all-consuming love. But I like to think that because he does all these things to not forget Clementine you know, fails in the end, it's a little bit all-consuming. Like, it's doomed to fail his fight against not losing his memories, but he still wants to try anyway. I don't know if that made sense. No, like, there is. There's, like, very much, like, a, like, tragic notion of this character of, like, realizing halfway through this irreversible procedure that he doesn't want to do it anymore. And, like, the lengths that he goes to try to just keep any, any memory at all of her even even after like all of the negative stuff that they've been through is really really beautiful and i think it's just like so relatable and i think that's why this movie means so much to so many people is i think mm-hmm. everybody has some regrets of some kind and like some things that they wish that they would go back and change or some person who used to mean a lot to them who who doesn't anymore and regardless of like what the specifics of your situation were i think the question raised by this movie of like would you get rid of all of your experiences and memories with this person to avoid dealing with all the just the negative ones i think that speaks to a lot of people and i think that's very relevant and i think the way that this movie answers that question is so great and it's so beautiful and that's why it's my favorite movie ever and it also touches down on the indomitable human spirit yeah if you know what that is. Yeah, just this idea that I'm going to keep trying and trying and trying, which I think is really, it's really beautiful when contextualized in the movie. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a little foolish. You know, at the end of the movie, you have Joel and Clem being like, yes, our relationship's doomed to fail, but we're going to try again anyway because we're foolish. You know, there's there's sort of a stubbornness to that that I think is actually very endearing. And I think even though, like, yeah, like it is stupid. It's love mm-hmm. is stupid. That's I quote me on that. Love is stupid, but a world without love is not a world worth living in. At the end of the day, mm-hmm. I think, and that's sort of like what the point of this movie is. I think so too. Yeah. Well, thank you to Zaraline for joining me on this episode. Thank you for having me. Closing thoughts. No, I just really like this movie. We'll watch again. That's all for this episode of the Talking Pictures podcast. Happy Valentine's Day. Thank you for listening. And cut.